Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! Let's go to war. <laughs> I hope that that's what that uh, introduction sort of, you know, elicits out of us. Let's go and do this. Garge Ravachandra, welcome to the Warrior You podcast. How are you, my friend? Where does today's podcast find you? I'm in Sydney, mate, and you're right. If, if I wasn't pumped up before this podcast after listening to that intro, I'm, I'm about to go out and do some jumping jacks. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know whatever. I was asked. Cross <laughs> CrossFit, I was asked recently to provide my uh, rock star song to come on for a uh, for a client. Um, it's Canstar actually. Get a Canstar out there, hmm. and uh, which I thought was brilliant, you know. And I was thinking of all the songs I could use, and and I was like, you know, most of the songs that I listen to are like, you know, Five Finger Death Punch and Disturbed, and you know <laughs> things like that. And I thought that's not going to fly with this crew. <laughs> And then I was, and then I settled on um, "Keep the Faith" Bon Jovi because that's my my son's one of my son's first concerts he went to, mm. and and then just as I was like coming onto the stage, I was like, oh, I really wish I'd done "Walking on Sunshine" or <laughs> 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 something really like airy fairy. So, Garge, you know you're a great friend of mine. You're an associate consultant, for use of a better term, who works with hindsight leadership and resilience. You have your own amazing business as well with some really interesting things in the pipeline coming up which we can perhaps talk about at the end of the, the podcast um, specifically around finding uh, veterans work if that if that's even where I'm going with this but um, you're a uh, organizational psychologist and the first time we met I got to hear you talk about you know mental resilience and which I really which really you know sort of set us up for this uh, friendship and, and business relationship. And today we've asked you to come and talk to Trent and I about something which I think a lot of people probably suffer from, which is imposter syndrome. What the hell is imposter syndrome? <laughs> um, I'm feeling it right now. So let's talk about it. I think um, so back in the late 1970s, um, there were these two researchers, Clance and Imes, who came up with this idea that they wanted to look at how women 
particularly felt about being in the workplace and even um, academically being in universities in particular courses. So they put hundreds of women through these different questionnaires. And what they found was some really common themes that there were a lot of women at the time who were feeling a sense of feeling like a fraud. Right. You'd find a bunch of women sitting in engineering lecture halls that was surrounded by 95 percent men. Right. You would find that there were um, women in in corporate offices that were not feeling worthy of the position that they had held. And so through that research, uh, through Clanton members, they created this term called imposter syndromes. That's late 1970s. 1978 was when it was published. Now, I. I'm not a big fan of the term imposter syndrome. I syndrome is one step away from a disease, right? So uh-huh. if you have yeah. uh, a cause, you go from syndrome to disease, right? So I think in the minds of people, it can be quite dangerous. Um, so I call them imposter experiences for that reason, because I uh-huh. don't think we experience it necessarily all the time in every facet of our lives. There might be certain aspects, whether we're at work or we're trying something new or we're meeting a a different bunch of people where we may feel that sense of a lack of worthiness or feeling like a fraud and not feeling up Mm. to the standard. Right. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that kind of experience is is more kind of what I have been focusing on over the last really 20 years. With imposter experience, I think that's situational. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Like it's not something that we as individuals experience constantly because it's in our nature you're saying that it is experiential and that it might be because you're you've just been promoted for instance and you you were a supervisor now you're a general manager and you're wondering how to how to take this on or you just got promoted in the military or so is that what you're is that what you're alluding to mate you've just cut into about 400 years of psychoanalysis in that question there is um the experience can trigger in us certain levels of insecurity that already exist anxiety Uh, absolutely so anxiety can be one of those and part of that and i was reading this thing about you know you guys talk about it all the time you know being authentic right as a leader or as a person um being choosing to be authentic whether you're sitting in a project meeting or you've joined the military and you're going on your first tour or you know, you've come back from the military as a veteran and you're about to get your first job. Acting authentically requires a heck of a lot of freedom in your mind to be able to do that. And that provokes a lot of anxiety, right? Because you can't actually blame anybody else when you choose to live authentically. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your genetics. You can't blame your culture. You have to take responsibility for that. Mm. And so all of a sudden, and this is why I think it, it really is challenging for people to be quite authentic because you are then looking in inwardly, right? As to why I might feeling, why I might be feeling anxious about something. What is it about this meeting that I'm in right now where I don't want to say something, even though I know we're going off track, yeah. right? Because mm. I might feel like I'm not uh, at the level. I'm not as intelligent as the other people around me. I don't have the experience that they have, right? Hmm. It's interesting because... I've definitely felt that in a in a context of a meeting and then I I guess something inside me innately goes, well, hang on a sec, I, I know exactly what I'm talking about in this instance and then my personality comes through. But where I can't control that is like at a dinner party or something like that when I'm then talking to three or four 
other guys who are all six foot tall in nice suits and they're talking about how how they're killing it in business and I'm like, oh gosh, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, it's a very strange thing and I wonder, I just wonder how linked it is to anxiety. If it's more linked to anxiety than probably we're even thinking, Trent, what do you think, mate? Do you think that, the, and we've talked about anxiety on the podcast before, Trent and I. And- Gosh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't think, you know, from, from what I understand, and this is my own personal experience, so, mm. you know, I'm only talking about my own experiential, I guess, episodes of imposter syndrome, but I don't think that I'm a naturally anxious like i'm a non-anxious person normally but i think imposter experience triggers anxiety in me for a period of time and and i I really like the concept a lot of people hate it and that's fake it till you make it and and i think you know that's that's my solution uh you know a a non-structural or um um, model like solution to getting through anxiety can we all and and Garge professionally is this right then imposter experience and and the term imposter syndrome doesn't relate to a mental illness correct it is not absolutely not a mental illness and and I think you know if we if that was to be a mental illness you'd probably have something like general anxiety disorder right that's what we'd probably call it in a clinical sense where it's coming up all the time right and it's it, right. th- that's a lot more of a clinical base, right? That's okay. there. This is a lot more linked to experiences. And let's face it, we're all social creatures, right? We want to feel a sense of belonging. We want to feel validated, right, mm. in, in terms mm. of the work we do. And that drives a lot of the behavior and, and how we feel about things. And so, you know, if we're in a situation where, you know, I'm sitting in a project meeting and um, I can see that the meeting is going off track, but the people around me are all... 15 plus years more experience than me, right? Can I back myself at that moment? Am I going back into my mind to find the moments where I have actually backed myself mm. and that I can actually, I've done good in those situations, right? I've actually proven that I'm capable. Or am I listening to those other little voices, you know, on the other side of my shoulder saying, you know what, Gudge, I actually, I think you're going to look like an idiot, mate, if you say this. Mm. And that's going to mean that you're probably going to be sidelined for the next opportunity. It probably means that they're not going to take you as seriously, right, for the next opportunity. So what voice do I choose to listen to? Mm. And, you know, and that kind of reminds me of this, you know, I I was um, in Abu Dhabi. I was um, watching this guy, um, uh, magician, you know, David Blaine, right? If you ever watch this guy, Master Illusion. And he was performing this trick in front of me and, you know, and this audience happened to walk down the steps and was doing this trick. And I was thinking, man, I'm never going to be so close to a magician like this ever again in my life. But the magician sits up here in our heads. It is the greatest illusionist that we have ever, ever met. And it lives in our mind. And the idea that that magician creates illusions and talks to us and gives us stuff to think about on a regular basis... Um, is baffling to me. And, and we choose to listen to certain um, illusions and we choose to ignore certain illusions, right? That's actually mm. our choice. Um, and sometimes I think we forget that, right? So based on the magician in our heads that, <laughs> that is, you know, putting out these illusions and these voices that we're listening to, 
Uh, we we spoke to Mamta Saha recently, and um, yeah, she's awesome. And, I loved it. Yeah, oh my she's God. Amazing, amazing, right? She's amazing, yeah. and she um, if you have a look at some of her work, and it's online as well. She does a lot of work around affirmation cards and those sorts of things. Is this what you're talking about? Is this one of the steps to overcoming imposter experience? Is you know that the affirmative voice, the po- as Bram always talks about, positivity always, and you know those sorts of things. Is this is this it? Yeah, but so that is a lot of that reframing in our minds, right? And, and you know, sometimes it, it's almost like imagining you, you're a farmer, right? And, you, and you've got a plot of land that sits in your head, right? Now, you get to choose what seeds you put into God, that's an arid wasteland of spinifex <laughs> and my farm. <laughs> Jesus, Garge. I would have forgotten to feed the pigs and the cows by now. Oh, everyone has just come and used my piece of land as a toilet. <laughs> well, here's Sorry. the thing, Brad. You get, to be, you get to be the real estate agent of your land. So you get to choose who the tenants are. Yeah. Are they the individuals that are going to screw up your property? Mm. Right? They're going to yeah. sit there and destroy it. Yeah. Or do you get to have people that actually come and enhance your property? Right, and yeah. actually look after it, and mend it, and nurture it, and care for it. Right, mm. and I think sometimes we forget that a lot of what Mamta I think says around the affirmations is around choosing those seeds, reframing those seeds in your mind, mm. and picking on those as the the topics you want to tell yourself. And we all do this, right? I think you tend to find high performers do this a lot. Mm. Yeah, they they take a negative situation and then they flip it over, right? And they you know, I was talking, listening to a, a, a second grade teacher explain this to some students the other day beautifully. It was, you know, when you get butterflies in your stomach and they're just running around everywhere when you're getting nervous, mm. saying, well, imagine in your mind, these butterflies start following a pattern in your stomach and you're, you start to get in control of them, right? Mm. And it was that process of saying, well, they could be going nuts in your stomach and that's why you feel anxious and nervous mm. or you can see them starting to do this beautiful pattern and, and sort of oh, just that's great. going together, right? And so I think you know, mm. you, that is purely reframing, right? Wow. It's all it is. Yeah. That is Gar- really interesting. Gosh, are there different types of imposter experiences? So there are probably different levels of uh, intensity that we would tend to find. And you know what's really interesting is though the initial research was done on women we're finding more and more men are falling into this sort of issue, right? We're finding that men are starting to lose a lot of confidence and worthiness in certain areas. And so, you know, you don't need to look at too many statistics to see that, um, you know, there's almost, women clearly are much more prone to feeling this way, particularly in the workplace. That, That seems to be, you know, really the area where that's happening. But we're starting to see a lot more women, a lot more men experiencing this. And this is why we've seen people like Jordan Peterson, you know, the famous psychologist, um, reaching out to young men and saying, you know, shoulders back, stand tall, take responsibility, live the authentic life, right? You need to start doing this Um, because there is a bit of a deficit in that in young men that has been coming through. That statistically has been proven um, around the world. So... I think the the intensity, the the specific locations that we are in, um, you know, can also drive that. So if you're in hardship, um, sometimes you just have to do things that you don't want to do, right? The and that kind of almost removes choice, 
Yeah. 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 I was just having this same conversation, um, talking about my son, actually. You know, sometimes things get get difficult and it's up to the generation before to to uh, often to give that confidence to the generation coming through that this is achievable and that you do need to push through adversity and those sorts of things mm. and and so it's it's making me think that this imposter experience is in almost every aspect of our lives but we make this choice to deal yeah. with it in a certain way you know between stimulus and response right as a choice yeah yeah that's really interesting. You know, I said a while ago, a couple of years ago now, I said all of the most successful ex-Special Forces guys that I know had one thing in common and only one thing. Mm. It was when I was sort of deciding I wanted to be a leadership theorist with absolutely no background other than an international relations degree, which means I can talk about societies and not leadership. Mm. And it dawned on me that I didn't have to ask anyone for permission to do it. I just had, to, just had to go and do it. And all the other guys who've been successful from a special forces background all did the same thing. They just gave themselves permission to do it. And the thing that could stop someone from doing something like that is that they don't seek their own permission. They wait for permission from some other lofty you know, deity or some general that doesn't exist anymore because they're no longer inside an authoritarian framework. Mm. So, so they feel like if they did it, they'd be an imposter. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I look at someone like David Goggins. Yeah. And I am sure he does. He is. He would not even know that there's such a thing as an imposter syndrome, <laughs> because for him, it's just like just get on and do it, man. Just, just do it, and then you're dead. Like you know <laughs> what I mean. So, so it's it. It almost seems simplistic. And Garge, perhaps this is a reductionist way of looking at it, yeah. but it almost seems like if you've got a frame of reference of I can do anything then oh, is it almost ego that stops imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know what's really know. funny about ego? It's coming up a lot lately in conversation, right? And you know, a lot of people now thinking about how do we define success? Is it through material or is it through kindness and being genuine and authentic mm. and all that kind of stuff? And you know, I, I think one of the things about you know, David Goggin example, right? He would have experienced, and he shows you pictures of what he used to be like, Yeah. right? Mm. And there would have been a heck of a Fatty lot of, yeah, heck of a yeah, lot of yeah. imposter syndrome sitting back then, right? Yeah, right? But he has chosen to focus on. There's a one particular thing that keeps coming up around imposter syndrome, which is this idea of attribution bias, right? Yeah. So this is where am I attributing all of my success to, or the the failures in my life, and so forth. Now, if you attribute your successes to all these external things, right? Luck. Um, you know, uh, legislation. People. Sorry, man. Other people. Other people, right? Yeah. Situations, yeah. right? Then you are more than likely going to experience imposter syndrome, right? Because you are not really reflecting on the fact that you've got some internal capacity and capability to deliver on things. So if you attribute success to the external world, you're going to be self-reliant on your internal world. And so therefore, right. when you're put into a situation... Your default is, oh, all my external stuff's not working. What's going on, right? Mm. What do I rely on now? Well, yeah. it's the same thing that's been there the whole time. And I think that, yeah. that's the part that's really powerful, right? Where do you attribute your success to? Yeah, right. So the things that can trigger those feelings of um, uh, imposter experiences can be things such as, 
a new career, new promotion, maybe walking into a room with people who you've measured yourself against and have fallen short. So it's one of those things that is resonating deeply inside yourself and not necessarily external factors. It's just, uh, it's almost a negativity bias, I guess. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the things that keeps coming up, guys, is, is um, who you see around you. Huh. Right. And I'm talking to two veterans right now about this, you know, coming back into the workplace, you know, coming from military, they are scared out of their minds at looking at private sector roles. Right? Yeah. And one of the things that keeps coming up is I don't see any other military people in those positions that I look up to in these private sector companies. Right. Right. Mm. So why would they be interested in me? Why would they mm. value my skills? Why would mm. they be listening to what I have to say? Right. So who you see around you actually has a massive impact as well. Right. right. So what about not to get focused too much on the on the veteran aspect, mm. because we, we will a little bit later on. But what about specialists in specialist roles as opposed to someone who's a generalist? in And and it's, there's been science to show that generalists end up becoming CEOs faster than yeah. the best specialists. Yeah. So do those specialists... And I mean, they may be really, really in niche specialist areas. Do they, would they have more of a chance of having imposter sort of syndrome as we're calling it? Well, we're not calling it that, but would they be more prone to imposter experiences when they start to go outside their specialty roles? And therefore, is someone with a more well-rounded background less likely to have those imposter experiences? Yeah, it's a good question. So th there's a couple of things, right? So the first one is, you know, have they seen other people perhaps who have gone from those specialist roles into becoming leaders of more general businesses, right? So if there's a track record or there are some people that they know, maybe in their own circle, maybe they've got some role models, some mentors that they have worked with that have made that transition successfully, then that can be a really powerful um, thing that can support them. The second thing is then thinking through and I think this is a, a little bit more um, uh, uncomfortable for people is that when an imposter experience comes up or you have that feeling of anxiety and, and the lack of worthiness and so forth, if that's a mirror that's coming up in front of you, what is it telling you? Right? Is it telling you that you need to actually maybe gain some extra skills or knowledge in a certain area? Do I need to expose myself to more general finance skills, for example, because I don't know how a P&L looks, even though I'm a real specialist in this particular area of focus? Is it about going and getting mentored by certain people you know, who are more generalist? So I think the imposter experience for me, it raises something that we need to think about. It's a mirror for us. And if we ask those questions at the mirror, what is this telling me? I think you'll tend to get some answers, right, uh, around where do I need to focus? Yeah. Is it my skills, my knowledge, my experiences, uh, my exposure, right? W what does that need to look like? I'm not that um, answers your question, mate. Yeah, um, yeah, it did. Uh, I think, gosh, <laughs> no, I guess if it, if it didn't, it will. <laughs> so you've spoken about imposter experience and a couple of things to help help us help the listeners, help people in general work through it. And that's things like positivity and I guess to some extent rewriting your narrative and those sorts of things. What are the other steps that we can take when we're experiencing imposter experience to, to work through that and get to a position where we're actually performing, 
performing at a higher level? Yeah, there's a number of things, uh, Trent, and, and it starts with actually a bit of self-compassion, self-love, right? Actually giving yourself the opportunity to, and I don't mean I'm that- all in, about self-love. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't mean that in some mushy sense, but I mean that from right. actually give yourself respect, right? Yeah. And the opportunity to um, make mistakes, right? And yeah. to learn and to be willing and- to do that. None of us are perfect. Right. Yeah, Mumta talked about this mm-hmm. as well about nourishing, nourishing, and and th- that self respect through, you know, vitality, sleep, what you eat, what you put in your body, what you think about thoughts become things. Absolutely. Um, how long does an imposter experience last? Well, I think it lasts as long as we allow it to. Yeah. So I think that's that's honestly coming from a, a mindset of an internal bias, right? Saying that we actually get to choose this. And of course, it's not as easy as that. We all know that. We know that we are working with multiple voices in our head um, about these things. But I think also having the right people around you, and you guys you know, call it the tribe, but that is absolutely essential, right? Having people mm. that back you, support you, that challenge you, that give you a sense of um, comfort and being able to be authentic and genuine, you know, as to who you are is really critical. Um, I've written down before something around um, finding your lane, right? One of the things that happens in imposter experiences is that we forget sometimes all the strengths that we have, right? Mm. So what is it that makes us strong? Because it's not an accident that you're sitting in that room having that meeting, right? right? You're there for a reason. Sometimes reconnecting with that can be really important. And that might be just a quick couple of thoughts in your mind about how did you get to this place, right? Mm, right. And that can be a quick sequence that you can run through. Um, and, and that can be really helpful. Now, you can do all sorts of other psychological techniques like anchoring and different things that trigger, right, those kind of positive uh, emotions in you. Um, mm. And there's lots of literature and, and YouTube videos and all sorts of things on that. Um, but I think those kind of things are really essential. They're kind of the immediate, immediate things. One thing that's coming up a bit is paying it forward, mm. right? Well, so what do you act- mean by that? So basically, the more that you go and support other people in achieving their goals, what the research tells us, fascinating, is that that actually tends to come back and reinforce a lot of positivity in ourselves. Hell yeah. Yeah? Yep. You guys, I'm sure, have found this. The stuff that you guys are doing it reinforces you that you're capable of stuff. You're capable of doing these things, right? Um, and so it gives you also more situations that you can use that are that are helpful and, and healthy rather than unhealthy in your mind. Yeah. It's loosely linked to Trent's, you know, saying of just be a good human as well. Absolutely. And I, I think, and I've got a little bit of a story around that where, um, you know, I was in a position of, Great power, um, and and uh, well, that means someone, he's got two kids. Someone, uh, so, someone had had failed a a three point two kilometer run for a selection course to 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 um, to then go on to do um, from the special forces entry test to then go on to do the commando training uh, course. Mm. And they'd come up to me afterwards and said, "Oh, look, you know, I I can pass that any day of the week. I just had a bad day today." Usually I'd be like, mate, you failed and it fails a fail. But I said, well, look, tomorrow morning we're running another one of these. So just rock up and do it then. And if you pass it, then you can mm-hmm. move on thinking. And he'd failed it by a minute something. Um, and then the next day he passed it. Passed it by 
around, I don't know, 14 seconds or something mm. like that. And I, I just remember at the time thinking not much of it other than, oh, okay, that was surprising. But years later, that person sent me an email. I was out of the army and said, hey, you know, I've had this great special forces career. I want to really thank you for, for showing faith in me. I was like, I didn't show any faith in you. I was just showing weakness <laughs> at a point. <laughs> But but it was but the the day that I received that uh, email was probably a day I probably needed it. To be fair, I was like, oh wow, okay, that's really cool. You know, I'm really glad for that. And that was a trigger for me to go just be a good human, and then to have it reinforced by by Trent quite often. And I can see how that positivity in leadership, and especially if you've got people in your team who probably suffer a little bit from the imposter syndrome. And I I've heard of people who are colonels and brigadiers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. who have said that they suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah. And what they don't know is I look at those people, I'm like, God, that guy's amazing. Yeah. I want to be like that person. Yeah. And yet that person's going, oh, I really don't think I should be up here at these dizzy heights. And it's the same, it's the same with a politician that I know who, who was a politician, a friend of mine mm. who um, shall remain nameless. But he, <laughs> he, he felt that he had um, imposter syndrome as well. And yet there he was in the Senate just mixing it with the big boys. Yeah. you know. And I, I wonder how many people – we, we interact with day-to-day that have these um, imposter experiences at, at some point, and perhaps it's a lot more than we think. Well, can I give you the stats on that? No. It's, okay. Go on. No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to Bram. Get, yeah. it's, crack it's, on. It's 70% globally. Wow. Whoa, right? It would not have picked so that. It's nah. a lot of people. And it's, if you imagine 7 out of 10 people we meet, Right, are going to be experiencing this. Ooh. That's so. Hang on, hang on, guys, yeah. hang on. Three people out of ten we meet are narcissists. <laughs> so does that, so I, so does that so I posit that thirty percent of people that don't have imposter syndrome are pricks. <laughs> it's, it's it's possible, possible. I'm not going to deny any of those claims, but I think look, the reality is that there's a lot of people out there, and if you think about it, this, is the beauty of this, right? So imagine. Imagine, you know, you are studying and you are one of the most socially awkward people. Oh, gosh. Right? This is a window into my life. <laughs> and then you go on to create a company that is the most socially connected company that actually allows people to connect socially more than any other company in the world, right? That's Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. Yeah, right? but... So you he actually used an insecurity. He used something that was mm. a potential weakness of his mm. and actually managed to turn it to create an evil to create an evil empire. <laughs> well, true. But it actually you could actually create massive impact, right? And that's what I mean. And the amount of people that are around like him, I'd written down a couple of individuals who had actually um, publicly said that they were Michelle Obama, Mike Cannon Brooks from Atlassian, publicly admitted, right, that he has this. Jacinda Arden. New Zealand Prime Minister, Tom Hanks, Michelle Pfeiffer, Emma Watson, they all come out and said, we experience Me. this on a regular basis, right? And yeah. it is 
pretty normal. We just don't talk about it. And I think any ser- any, any serial killers in that list, like. Oh. Ted well, yeah, I'm just not feeling Ted, it today. Ted Bundy, you know, topic. I don't think I can do this. Completely right. topic, yeah. but it is connected. It's connected to the topic of a feeling, a sense of belonging, right? Wow. So people who don't feel a sense of social connectedness, you know, so, you know, we, we've talked about at the beginning of this podcast about, you know, uh, imposter syndromes, about the fact that we are social creatures, right? Yeah. The mass shootings in the US, I mean, we saw this recently, the Asian hate crimes, right? Yeah. Um, and where you don't feel a sense of connection or a sense of belonging, yeah. you get that kind of dysfunctional behavior, right? You've just got yourself another involved <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, uh, one of the guys you guys have talked about, Winston Churchill, is, a, yeah. is an amazing example of that, right? He is, is an amazing nice? connection to the, the people in, in Britain, yeah. wonderful leader from that perspective, but he's also responsible for six to seven million deaths in the, in the Bengal yeah. famine, right, in India. Six to seven times more Jews killed, right, in the Second World War that died in India under his leadership, right? And you think right. to yourself, how is that possible? We can have these extreme... I did not know that. Yeah? And so, you know, you get... So there's a lot to, to think about, unpack in that, right? Well, there, there certainly is. Mm. And not to turn it into the Winston Churchill hour, but... <laughs> You know, a lot of a, a lot of the digging that Trent and I did around Winston Churchill was he was such a conflicted human. Mm. We look at the future of humanity from from the tyranny of Nazi Germany, and a lot of us say we were saved by Winston Churchill, the modern you know modern humanity, modern Western world. Yeah. But if you go back thirty years before that, Dardanelles, mm. you know, was all, I mean, people people in Australia hated him yeah. because of the the Australian casualty rate and Gallipoli and experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you got to wonder, yeah, I don't, you really have to wonder whether he had that imposter syndrome or whether it was something imposter experiences during the war or whether he was just so driven. Yeah. Got, well. a, got a question for you, Bram. Um, you, you, you touched on it uh, earlier, you know, walking into a room full of six foot uh, successful business people. Do you, yeah. do you feel it routinely? Huh. You know, um, yeah, I guess I do. I'm, I am quite an anxious little creature, to be fair, and I've only just started to admit that, but I've, I've got a pretty good hold on it. Mm. But I'll tell you something interesting around post-traumatic stress mm. and um, inoculation from post-traumatic stress, mm. and, and maybe this sits nicely in the imposter syndrome piece as well because I went from a sergeant to captain, so, so I was promoted in 24-hour period without doing without going to RMC or ADFA, I, was, I just went through a selection board and they went, yes. So they took my sergeant's drops off and they put three pips on me. Oh. And the next thing you know, I was eating cucumber sandwiches in the officer's mess. Oh, that's, that's, that's a myth. <laughs> a myth. Not, in two, not, in, not in four-hour commando circa 2005. <laughs> it was definitely that the crusts were off the bread and everything, oh, mate. stop. And, that's and a, so that's I a was, special forces thing. So, so, I was, so I was promoted and then they... You know, so I walked in there as a sergeant. I was promoted at lunch. Then I looked around. Everyone was smiling and happy, and there's a round of applause. And then they went back to their clicky groups, and I just stood there in the middle, going, "Holy shit! I've got no friends now. No sergeants like me because I'm a captain, and no captains like me because I used to be a sergeant." So what did you do? And so, well, I had to remember that I was technically brilliant. Like I was technically really good at my job. I didn't really understand much about leadership yet because I'd been doing it as a corporal, and and you know, I didn't know as much as what the officers knew around group dynamics and leadership 
So I just had to watch people and learn really fast by osmosis. Mm. And, and I did draw a lot on my technical expertise through leadership. Mm. And then, but then what happened is we went away to Afghanistan and I was the operations officer. So I was inside a really nice safe room. And then the, the company sergeant major went and got himself blown up in an IED blast. And the next thing I know, I was out in the field and because I was plucked out of a really safe, comfy environment where I had set myself up to be the best I could be at that job as a captain, mm. then suddenly I'm out in the field with the, with the, with the company um, acting in his role but not given the kudos to be the CSM. I was just a captain who was actually doing his job. So I was walking around, seeing the troops, buoying everyone up, you know, helping the XO who was far better than I was anyway, um, old Lockie, who was a lot better at his job than I was, that's for sure. And But what that did is being out on the ground there in Afghanistan in 2008 in that role, it, it built this frame of reference and this experience for me that when I came back and that company, that um, major of the company said, hey, next year you're going to be a platoon commander. So suddenly it wasn't just a fake officer. I was actually going to be in charge yeah. of men in combat on the ground. When we went back over there, completely fine in that role because I had been slowly uh, slowly sort of inoculated into yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Frames of reference were being slowly set. So I think it's interesting where I could have, if I had have been instantly promoted and then tomorrow you're taking that platoon into Afghanistan, that would have been terrible for us. But to be slowly brought into the fold and shown that I could do this, a crawl, walk, run approach, I know there's so much there to unpack, but I had a real... Um, I had a real instantaneous imposter experience that was forced on me through a system that doesn't understand that you are not given support when you go from yeah. a sergeant to a captain. And, you, you know, and, I, and I chose to do that. So it was a tough, yeah. So what's tough. fascinating about that is that you went, you went from you know, looking at the external world to back to the internal to get your validation, right? That you are technically yeah. brilliant. You went back to your strengths. We talked about that as find your lane, right? Mm. What are those strengths? And then you kind of built on that, right? which was awesome. And Yeah, and you know what I wish I had have done is, is stood in front of people and said, hey, I really don't feel... Because a lot of the officers used to say to me, oh, you've made an amazing transition. You can't even tell that you used to be a sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and yet, realistically, that's them seeing that. What, and maybe that's helped a little bit. But I think it would have been better for me to say, hey, I really feel like I'm faking this. Like, help me. And that's part of the yeah. paid forward, right? Which would be awesome. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so similarly, um, my experience was that I was promoted and posted into a commanding officer's role. So I went from major, you know, one month to commanding a battalion the next. Jeez. And I certainly, absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, can say that I was uh, experiencing imposter syndrome, especially after you make some colossal errors in the f- in judgment in the first couple of months because you, you your frame of reference is not in that yeah. more senior role yet, and um and, and so after uh, after being uh, summarily um, uh, realigned uh, early in the first couple of months, you do start to get that experience and, and, and find your lane again. You know, mm. I'm, I'm here for a reason. I was chosen for a reason, mm. those sorts of things. And, and that pay it forward concept, I was actually reflecting on what you were saying because it really struck me 
quite personally because my default was to focus on the junior leaders, both the junior officers mm. and the junior NCOs and and work on their leadership skills uh, as well as as well as training and, and project management. So I sort of defaulted to that area, to that lane that I knew and then, you know, uh, consolidated that and then worked out, then grew from that lane into into the role into the, the 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 grander position i guess and i don't mean that from an egotistical point of view i mean the larger role that um you're supposed to be in that in that particular in that particular role and i think that's the same for everybody i think that's i think when you're getting over imposter experience i think that's probably what everyone does yeah I mean, I'll give you this classic story. I mean, uh, about a month ago, I went back to my old school, year 11 and 12, to talk to the year 11 students about getting pumped up, right, for the mm. next two years. And we're on a panel mm. of uh, students. And one of the one of the ex-students, roughly my age, um, is now a diplomat for Australia. And the story that she told was that every recess and lunch, she when she was at school, she'd run into the art studio and just hide from everybody, mm. right? She now represents our country, right, wow. in Southeast Asia. The fact that she said that, yeah. I saw a collective relief of 140 students. <laughs> yeah. Right? 140 students in the room. Because they're all feeling the court, that. Just went, you know yeah. what? That means maybe I can be who I am. Maybe there's yeah. a part of me yeah. that's wanting to come out here. And yeah. the fact that you can be that honest, right, and you've had mm. that level of success and you felt like this at the point that I'm at right now, that sense of vulnerability, I mean, that was leadership for me, right? Yeah. And I think that took a lot of courage. And for her, I don't, I'm not sure she actually even knew the impact that she had on those those kids. But I think yeah. it's going to yeah. be profound. Yeah. So I've, se I've seen you present, Garge, and certainly, you know, you command a, a room, you can stand up on the stage, you know how to inject humor, you know how to, you know how to put um, psychology theory into a way that's easily accessible by people. Do you, do you ever feel like you have that imposter experience prior to getting up there or how does and how or is that just nerves before you start talking or is it the same thing yeah look i think anxiety sometimes can be linked to that right and, and look of course i never have imposter syndrome i mean that's just yeah that's only for creeps like me right so i think um no he's, look, the, th he's the three out of ten right <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the way that i've interpreted now before i go onto any podcast before i go into any when I'm standing up in front of people, even before a one-to-one -one session, right? I get a little bit anxious because I take my job bloody seriously, right? right. And that moment that I have with someone or a group of people, I, they need to receive some value. So it's pressure that I put on myself, right? That I'm kind of exerting. And you guys do this as well in the work that you do, yeah. right? You, you want the, the individuals, the audience to get some value. And so as a result, that pressure is there. But then you kind of accept the fact that, well, it's there because it's trying to drive you to, to do something better, right? Yeah, right. Well, and so preparation oh, preparation helps massive. you. Massive. I'm like right. a madman. Even today, you can ask my wife. I was walking around the house just talking about how would I define imposter syndrome? Um, you know, what would be some of the, the concepts that I would be talking about? The, the analogies or the stories, right? And that massively helps prepare, right? And yeah. yeah. And you know, the, the thing that someone told me about 20 years ago um, that really helped me on this was that um, you, are, you are the only center of the universe for yourself. Yeah. No one really thinks about you that long, 
right? So don't think that everyone's leaving a meeting thinking, oh man, that trend, that brand, that, I mean, can you believe what they said? And for the next 25 hours, they're talking about you. It, it's not happening, right? They've got yeah. their own life. They've got their own stuff. So in that moment, if you're worrying about what other people are going to say, um, yeah, that might stop you from doing what you need to say. So yeah. it's redirect. So right? it's a, yeah. so it's actually it's actually really natural. Absolutely. And so the opposite of the imposter experiences, I assume, is the Dunning Kruger effect. <laughs> and so that's probably less natural. And would that be the other thirty <laughs> percent? Um, there would be an extreme Too version suggestive. of that thirty percent, some percentage in there. Um, it was yeah. funny. I was talking to a lawyer about that, and they actually said to me, "I've never experienced uh, lack of confidence. You know, I've always just gone wow. for it." And and my mind immediately goes to the Dunning Kruger effect, right? The level of does the level of competence match the level of capability, right? Um, right. But in their minds, it's okay. You know, they've they've been. It's healthy for them. It works for them, right? It serves a purpose. Yeah. I, I think it's only dysfunctional if you are creating unhealthiness in other people right mm. um, if it's healthy for you but it's creating unhealthiness for other people maybe we need to reevaluate right, right what that looks like but if it's healthy for you and you're not creating dysfunction um, you know maybe that's a wonderful strategy to have or the approach right right and so just to clarify before we ask you for your top tips on on how to control the imposter experiences um, it's it's not being nervous, is it? It's not just being nervous before a big event because that is that is something a little bit different. Yeah, and I, and I think it's actually quite healthy to be a little bit nervous mm. before an event. What it tells mm. me is that there's something important about this, right? That, that and that's why I'm doing it. And that's how I interpret it okay. in my mind, right? If you weren't nervous, you see a lot of people walk in completely arrogant, right, about a yeah, situation, yeah. and you wonder how seriously are you taking this, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, have you put effort into actually wanting this to be special, you know, for the for the audience? And yeah. I think that plays a role in that. So absolutely, nervousness is normal. Um, it's when you get to that sense of anxiety where it's actually debilitating, right? It takes you off your path. It kind of is destructive. That's when, you know, we need to focus on that. But prior to that, it can be exceptionally powerful. Yeah. Okay. It sounds it sounds uh, surprisingly similar to um, going into a job interview. You know, you can go in overconfident and or coming across quite egotistical, or you can be a little nervous, be a little authentic. You know, prepare ahead of time and and overcome that imposter experience even in that interview. And, and you know, I've seen and and read a lot of what you've spoken about. You know, preparing mm. for interviews and those sorts of things and mm. and. It, there's some similarities in what you're saying around this imposter experience and overcoming it and interview process. Oh, yeah. absolutely, massively. And I think, you know, that, that for me is the number one thing that we talk about with business schools is if you're not preparing, you are going to do yourself a disservice. And quite frankly, do you want that job? Right? That's yeah. what your behavior tells you, right? Mm. So mm. give us your top 37 <laughs> or, or your top three. Um <laughs> Uh, I think they had ways written to, down, mate. But anyway, <laughs> well, give us your top three. Give us your top three or four um, of ways to control imposter experience. Yeah. So, yeah. so preparation absolutely um, is a key factor. I think embracing what is coming up for you when you are experiencing that sense of anxiety, right? Mm. Um, what is it telling you about your skills, your knowledge, your experiences that you might need to gain? 
making sure you're equipped, right, with uh, your strengths, the things that have got you to that point, why you are in that room with those people mm. talking about this topic. And that could be as simple as having two or three key anchors of your life where you have had immense success, right? You have mm. uh, done things, achieved things that have given you a sense of accomplishment, right? Um, and I think allowing yourself to take some chances, right? And thinking through the worst case scenario, it's actually not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, you know, there's that Stanford piece of research, right? That said 80% of the things we worry about never happen. So mm. go for it. Right. And, you know, mm. you want to do it within some sense of safety. But if you've got these other elements lined up, you've, you've given yourself a much better chance. Right. Which is great. Yeah. Great. Well done, Garge. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Garge. That's helpful. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, let's talk about your most recent piece of work. The thing that you're that you and I have been talking about, Garge, um, supporting veterans transitioning into into new work. Yeah, so I came across some really um, mind-boggling bits of uh, research, actually, and I'd, I'd written them down. I can't. Oh, here we go. And we've created this sort of virtual uh, job finding series, right? Called the Kickstarter series, which is really to help people to ha come up with a strategy on how to find a job, right? And what we thought uh, was going to be used only in business schools um, actually has a much larger purpose. And talking to people from different domains, we found that there is a massive amount of issue around um, veterans. And I saw some stats mm. saying one in three veterans are unemployed in the country at the moment, yeah. right? That is an unacceptable figure to me. I'm sure it's mm. even more of an unacceptable figure to those of you guys who are in the military and even in the military and coming out of the military service, right? Into sort of civilian life. Um, mm. Veterans tend to earn 30% lower than their non-military, than their military position. So there's a change in lifestyle that happens mm. as well, right? So there's fundamental things that are happening when mm. you come out of that kind of environment into a new environment. But that doesn't have to be the case, right? It's about how we sell ourselves, it's about our strategy we use, it's about our relationships and our networks. But how do we how do we do this? And what we created was a series of eight modules, 30 minutes each, that actually give you step-by-step -step process of how to find a job. Now, mm. what we want to do, because we've got Anzac Day coming up, right? Mm. And what we want to do is to get this product out to veterans who need it. And mm. this product is, it's a $250 product, right? Mm. But we want to give it at no charge, right? Mm. And this wow. is because we Damn. genuinely believe this is a, an issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, we mm. know how passionate you guys are as, as hindsight mm. leadership on, on supporting mm. veterans. We are immensely passionate about helping people around the world. Um, we just helped a thousand kids in Jamaica um, randomly through the office of the prime minister there um, on getting job ready because they've got huge unemployment issues in that country. Um, and we want to be able to do that in this country, right? Yeah. Australia's given so much and you guys have done so much, right? And there are so many people out there who need support right now. Compass Consultancy, I mean, that's a huge, that's, is that hundreds of, that must be nearly a million dollars worth of free stuff going in. Yeah, so I think we, we've sort of looked at maybe providing support to 4,000 um, veterans and we, wow. Would, wow. we would put that around, yeah, a million dollars. It's a million dollar product scholarship. 
Yeah, right. And so and so this Kickstarter campaign or, or the, the product allows someone who's still serving, and you know, Trent and I quite often mm-hmm. say, join the ADF, join the Australian Defence Force with a view to getting yes. out. Now, I mean, just for those listening, I put myself through university, not paid for by defence, by the way, while I was serving. Um, I did a diploma as well as as well as that, I did a diploma of government and a certificate in management, all while still serving. So just not out drinking piss on Friday and Saturdays, like actually doing something for the future. And this is this is one of those things that if I'd had access to that, I would have done this as well. So you, you step through the modules, you go from zero to hero. When you're ready to get out, you've got your CV squared away. You've got the the lines of operation that you should be looking at to to pursue meaningful work. Preparing. Yeah, yourself. I think it's. Yeah, and preparing yourself. So talk, talk us through, what does it look like when someone signs a dotted line, Garch? So when they get access to this product, they actually start from the self-assessment piece. So what is important to you? What are the things that you want to be focusing on? Um, your values, your motivators. Um, and then you look at things like your plan. You know, what sort of industry do you want to get into? Is it government? Is it non-government, right? What are the sort of mm. industries within non-government that you might be interested in? What are the kind of positions you want to hold, right? What kind of roles in particular and therefore what's what does your cv and your selling strategy need to look like so what does mm. your linkedin profile need to look like how do you mm. position your digital footprint right um we've got downloadable forms so people can literally take word templates of cvs that we know have been successful and actually mm. just use that for themselves um, we've got interview guides we've got uh, a booklet of 70 uh, 80 questions um, with the behaviors that you need to be talking about in each of your responses so that it is a guide again, you know, in terms of matching your experiences to those competency questions that you might be getting. Um, yeah. Even the salary discussion, how do you negotiate salary? What do you need to be doing through that process, right, to get the best salary outcome? So all the way from understanding about yourself through to the negotiation of salary and signing that contract. We cover the the critical stages, right, of that. And that is something we want to give. Um, It is the least we can do, um, we feel. Um, And, you know, we'd be so delighted to be able to do that. We're so excited that you guys are, you know, partnering with us on this. It's wonderful. Thank you. It's absolutely an amazing uh, opportunity for 4,000 so uh, veterans and and uh, serving members mm. who are thinking about getting out and and those that have already get it, uh, got out and uh, possibly possibly struggling to find their feet again uh, and you know on behalf of the veteran community uh, particularly in Australia I just wanted to say thanks to to you Garge and the and the team for taking care of veterans and and mm. I think we're both Bram and I are you know really grateful on on everyone else's behalf to you yeah and and so my, i guess my my question is a technical question how do people how can they contact or how does this work they can email me um and i'll give them a code um <laughs> i can't wait to get four thousand emails coming through <laughs> i'm up for the challenge you do realize we have two hundred and fifty thousand downloads yeah, dm gage on uh on linkedin or find yeah. him on uh, instagram yeah, absolutely. What's your what what's your email, Gudge, for those that want to sign up for the Kickstarter program through Compass yeah, Consultancy? So it's, it's Gudge G A J at uh, Compass Consultancy K O M P A S S Consultancy dot com. You can find me on Instagram um, uh, as well. 
Oh yeah, you got to watch the videos. Garge is the high, the high five your daughter one as you came out from uh, doing your accounting or whatever it was. That was uh, that was my favorite. She was like, "What on earth is Dad doing now?" Yeah, the assault on my dog wasn't taken well either. I think I had the RSPCA call me afterwards. But um, yeah, look, yeah, I think yeah, happy for people to reach out and um, you'll just get a code. That code and a link will give you immediate access uh, to the product, and you can you can begin. Okay. Yeah. So it's. It's uh, it's Garge at Compass Consultancy. That's uh, Garge Golf Alpha Juliet at Kilo Oscar Mike Papa Alpha Sierra Sierra Charlie Oscar November Sierra Uniform Lima Tango Alpha November Charlie Yankee dot com. Sorry, Matt, I missed that. Did you start again? No. <laughs> This is not a this is not a phonetic <laughs> alphabet uh, lesson. So it's Garge at Compass Consultancy. Just remember that Compass is with a K, and um, yeah. So the Kickstarter campaign, people can email you now. They can get they can sign up. They can and if you've just joined the ADF, do that too. If you're about to leave, do it. If you've already left and you, you're looking for work, jump on it. Um, let's see if we can hit four thousand even before Anzac Day. That'd make that'd make me that'd happy. Yeah, so thanks very much, Garge, and thank you for being a guest on the Warrior You podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. I mean, love what you do, and um, yeah, keep it up. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Garge. Thanks, Garge. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just a physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you